Hello, I'm Xavier McFarlane, and welcome to the Catholic City Podcast from the Mary Foundation. Today's episode brings back Father John Anthony Bowden, the Vicar General of the Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, along with Anthony Mancini, our Operations Manager here at the Mary Foundation. We have the latest updates on the Mantle of Mary Project, and Father John shares insights, stories, and practical tips from his ministry about the freedom and healing power of forgiveness, and then we wrap up with some gateways the enemy can use to enter our life. But first, if you've ever considered becoming a Catholic or are a Catholic seeking to deepen your relationship with Christ, please visit us at catholiccity.com to order our Catholic scapulars, books, booklets, relic prayer medals, and best-selling novels by Bud McFarlane. Sign up for Bud's twice-a-month Catholic City email message, where he's been sharing profound insights, sage advice, and crazy stories for over 25 years. We are also the world's largest distributor of the Purple Scapular, given by Mary to the approved French mystic Marie-Julie Jehenny in the late 1800s. You can learn more at our website, catholiccity.com, which is the online home of the Mary Foundation. Since the dawn of the internet, we've been a world leader in delivering proven, free, or low-cost tools for evangelization right to your door and superb content to your screen. So, Father John, we're here talking about the Mantle of Mary Project again. Why don't you give a little exposition on what that is? Mantle of Mary Project is uh, just a pious and, I would say, prophetic uh, action that your father, Bud McFarland Jr., and I did to mystically pin down the mantle of Our Lady, begging for extra graces in the spiritual battle for the country of the United States, which consisted of going to the four corners of the United States and offering mass and pinning down with exercise salt bl- blocks <laughs> literally cow licks that we exercised and I did and put at the corners to act as a prophetic witness to say, you know, we're, we're claiming this territory as the bishops uh, who pled that the mantle of Mary would be protecting the country. We said, we want to, we want to pin those mantle, that mantle down on the corners. And it sounds kind of crazy, but that's the way prophetic actions work in the scriptures. We just felt the Holy Spirit guiding us to do that. So it's a, it's a symbolic image of the spiritual battle that we're in for this country. So what, what's the, the goal? The goal is to take back territory from Satan. That's the, that's the goal of Jesus Christ, right? That's what he came to do. And we see in a culture that we as Christians have allowed... Uh, the enemy to take more and more hold of the culture, which is now no longer a Christian one, which we can tell because people in general are not making decisions based off of Judeo-Christian principles or truths. Rather, that it has become a, uh, a neo-pagan culture. And this is worldwide. It's not mm-hmm. just the United States. But what we're, we're, we as Christians need to recognize the spiritual battle and take it seriously and uh, claim back that territory. And so we're, the Mary Mantle Project uh, is inspired in part to just beg the grace of the Holy Spirit to come and illumine consciences anew. And what, from my Protestant background, the, ver- the verbiage would be a new great awakening. There's these moments in history of the United States and the English-speaking world called great awakenings where you see these massive waves of the Holy Spirit just hitting and profound conversions happening in waves. That's one of the things that happened just to, before slavery ended. There was this wave of a, one of the great awakenings. And we're, in Catholic terms, are praying for the same thing. Mm-hmm. We're praying that consciences are illumined to see the truth of God's um, mercy and love and then also the truth of sin in our own lives so that people can walk away from that. 
that is the heart and soul of the spiritual battle. Uh, that's the that's what it's what's it about is getting individual hearts to convert to Jesus Christ mm-hmm. so that they're free personally. If everybody does that, or most people do that, then the the, the country and the world operates out of the freedom of Jesus Christ as opposed to the slavery of sin. Uh, That's global. Yeah, I see a parallel here between at least one of the Great Awakenings in America then was about physical human bondage, ownership, slavery. But now we have a different kind of slavery. So then, so I guess, I guess you could frame it this way, like the initial startup of the mantle of Mary with the pinning of the salt blocks and the mantle on the four corners of the country, that's kind of macro scale. And we talked about that in our last podcast with you. What about individual freedom? Because that's that's part of the goal, too, is not just at the country level, but the country's made up of people ultimately, right? Absolutely. So, I you know, I need to pray for conversion of everybody. But if I don't start with myself, (laughs) I'm shoveling sand against the tide, right? Jesus came to, to save individual souls one at a time. And so freedom comes that way. Freedom comes through a, a soul becoming more like God. You know, we were created in the image and likeness of God, but sin destroys that likeness. And we become like God principally the best way that we can become most like God and have that likeness restored on an individual level through forgiveness. And I, one of the things I preach about for personal conversion is one of the things that's most forgotten that, that yeah, we go to confession to get our sins forgiven. But there's this tricky element that we say in the Lord's Prayer every day. How many times a day? Forgive us our sins as we forgive. Meaning, if I don't forgive, I don't get forgiven. And so I I, I see on a micro level to open up the floodgates of grace on a macro level, individuals need to learn how to forgive. Forgive the sins that are given that are that are committed against them. And as a priest, I see profound conversions of individuals and families when they begin a process of actually forgiving, not just this vague mm-hmm. kind of like, yeah, well, I kind of forgive. No, when I personally choose to forgive all the people who've wounded me and how they've wounded me, I close, I, I that's inviting Jesus's grace into particular wounds. And when I'm freed of those, then there's this grace that allows those around me to be drawn into Jesus Christ's grace and freedom. And those relationships get transformed in Jesus Christ. If that happens in a family, which I've seen time and time and time again, then it it can happen in a community and then it can happen in a nation. Mm, Does that make sense? And so I I just really, yeah. Yeah. I'm reminded of, I, I thought it was a little silly at the time, but I've realized the value of it. I was on this kind of half-day retreat thing, and they had a thing on forgiveness, but it was very specific. They wanted it to be very specific to the person and to the actions. Um, and I just remember, it, and and what came to me at the time was like, one of my brothers and I, we fought a lot when we were younger. Mm-hmm. And I had some resentment built up towards him that I kind of knew about, kind of didn't. And then I sort of assigned forgiveness to those, like I tried to remember a lot of the personal particular occurrences and then just in general. And I called him and he was like, what? I'm like, yeah, I forgive you. He's like, huh? He he didn't quite get it (laughs) because I was just out of the blue, but yeah, it changed my disposition towards him entirely. Yeah. And allowed me to see. Yeah. 
see all the other the other things about him that perhaps I'd missed all of his good traits, especially now that he's married with some kids. It's like I, he's a great role model for me, yeah. even if it, if from a distance. What about you, Anthony? Any any thoughts on this? I'm just curious, uh, kind of on a on a um, personal level again. What are some instances, examples in society where people aren't forgiving as they should? So, like a, a chronic um, uh, resentment building, like it, you know. What I mean? Yeah. Well, I think firstly, uh, Xavier hit it. Uh, most of it happens on a familial level. The most intimate relationships are where we pack little ice balls and these little events and hold on to a little grudge, and we may not even think we're doing it. But Scripture says, "Don't let the sun go down on your wrath." Meaning, every day at the end of the day, I need to be clearing out. And forgiving the people of the things that I've that, that the things have hurt me during the day, I need to choose to forgive, and or I'm packing a little ice ball in there, and I may say, you know, I just forgot about it. Um, it's not good enough just to deny something happened. So, the the intimate relationships are the things that that I think are are the most uh, where people need to forgive the most because they're the ones that hurt the most, right? Um, I'll, I'll tell you a couple of glory stories of people that I've seen uh, ch- choose to do this. And then I, I'd love to talk about what is forgiveness and what's not forgiveness because people don't get it. So what is it about about it that they don't get like the particulars? Like what do people ask you? A lot of people ask uh, various things. What is forgiveness from the heart? Because Jesus talks about forgiveness from the heart. They ask, how do I know when I've fully forgiven somebody? They ask, I really don't you know, talk about feelings. I don't feel like forgiving. I don't want to forgive. Like, that's, that didn't, Jesus didn't ever mention that you had to feel like forgiving or wanting to forgive. Uh, so I, I, I see it from a bunch of different angles. Usually what I try to do is tell people what it's not first mm. uh, to get clear out the garbage in people's minds. You know, So forgiveness is not, you know, you hear, to forgive is forget. Well, that's not psychologically even possible. A woman who's been raped is not going to forget that. She shouldn't be expected to, right? So it's not forgetting. To forgive, you know, is, well, I just, I'm just going to not think about it. You know, I, I'm just over that. Well, maybe you're over it, maybe you're not. Denial is not forgiveness. Denial that something happened and just trying to shove it under the rug, that's not forgiveness, Things have to be addressed. It's not the, f- some people think, well, I forgive that person and I'm just, you know, they they robbed my house but I, and I forgive them, so I'm just not going to deal with it. Well, you know, justice is also a virtue. <laughs> you know, right. You know, so you may, you may have to forgive somebody for doing some egregious thing, but you may also need to pursue justice and call the cops so they don't do it again. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we can have some really strange ideas in Christianity about forgiveness like well yeah I'm not going to call the cops because well well no that's not that's foolish somebody else will be wounded mm-hmm. right um, it's not an emotion people think well I I just don't feel like forgive me I just you know we don't it, that's animalistic to make our decisions based on what I feel like right they, they say in Spanish no me nasi it didn't it didn't bubble up out of me to forgive like ah, the Lord didn't ask you to have it bubble up out of you, <laughs> right? And it's not becoming best buddies with the other person, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. not necessarily reconciliation. That's ideal, uh, but that's not always 
feasible or even advisable. And it's not necessarily like you were doing with your brother. Hey, I, I forgive you. And you're like, what? <laughs> you're coming out of the blue. You're looking over the top of your glasses at them. I forgive you. And you're like, I don't know. I didn't even know it hurt you, you know? And maybe that can be an opportunity, but that can also come across as kind of arrogant. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you don't necessarily have to go to the person and say, I forgive you. Nor is it, and I heard this on a Catholic podcast, they were convinced that you have to wait for the other person to ask for forgiveness. Like that's, there's nowhere in scripture that says that. Nothing. Forgiveness is none of those things. It is an act of my will infused with grace, right? Uh, to err is human and to forgive is, Anthony, what do they say? To err is human, forgive is? Divine. <laughs> there you go, A plus. <laughs> to err is human, to forgive is divine. And so to restore the image and likeness, the likeness of ourselves to God the Father, the more I choose to forgive in grace, by his grace, the more I become like him who did one thing in the face of sin. He sent his son to reconcile us to him because he wanted to forgive, right? And so when I learn that it's an act of my will to choose by grace and I cooperate with that grace, then healing starts to happen in my heart. See, uh, on these little things. Anthony, you were talking about what it practically, what does that look like? What does it look like? Uh, I've got a friend um, in Nicaragua she said I could use this story. Nobody here will ever know her. I won't use any names. It didn't come out of confession. Everybody relax. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I challenged. She was ready to leave her husband. Mm. He was a rat. Objectively speaking, the guy was acting like a rat. And I said, look, I want you to do a little exercise in forgiveness for a little while. And I want you to choose by God's grace, to forgive him every day for 33 days and for all the other stuff that you can remember that you've been hurt by and then make your decision. And so uh, she began to do this. And I and this is a practical thing I would like to leave with people. I, chose, I asked her, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to show you every person that's hurt you and how. Write it down in brief words on a piece of paper that you're going to hide. And every day you're going to go through that that list, and you're going to say for each person, in the name of Jesus, and you can say it out loud, in the name of Jesus, I forgive so-and-so for doing this, that, and the other to me, or failing to do this, that, and the other that they should have done, uh, and I bless them. I forgive them, and I bless them in the name of Jesus. And then I want you to see what happens with your husband. List out all the things, you know, whatever it was he did or didn't do, and then everybody else. And what happens usually, and this is what I told her would happen, around day 20, her subconscious would open up and she would find all the stuff from her early childhood even, stuff that had been stuffed under the rug of memory. And because when we start the process of choosing to forgive an act of my will in grace to get rid of the garbage from the past, that people, the little nicks and cuts, to, to bring the nicks and cuts that other people inflicted on me through their sin, and inviting Jesus, his grace, into those things. It's like him putting triple antibiotic ointment on him, mm. right? As opposed to just kind of forgetting about him. So he, when I choose to do that, after 20 days, my subconscious opens up and I start to remember all sorts of stuff. And about day 25, she said, you'll never believe what happened on day 25. I said, what happened on day 25? She said, my husband came up to me 
and he gave me the warmest embrace that I haven't had in 20 in wow. decades. And he said, honey, I know I'm a rat and I know I've been a rat, but I, I got, you have to know, I can't imagine my life without, without you. And he didn't know she was planning on leaving him. Uh, please don't ever leave me. Let's work on this. Wow. Now, do they have a lot of work to do? Did they? Absolutely. Uh, but her choosing to loan her lips and tongue to Jesus Christ, who on the cross, Anthony, another test. What did Jesus Christ say on the cross? Forgive them, Father. They, they don't. Know not what would they do? Exactly. So when we loan our lips and tongues to Jesus Christ and say, in the name of Jesus, I forgive so-and-so for this, that, and the other. Basically, I'm putting myself on the cross with him, taking the very wounds that I have received, uniting them to the wounds of Christ on the cross, and loaning my lips and tongue to him so his grace of redemption turns those very wounds into redemptive wounds, and it flows out to mm. the people who even wounded me. That's what happened to her and her husband. She chose to forgive in grace, and that grace began to penetrate firstly through her heart and then out to his heart to bring about conversion. I can tell you dozens of glorious stories where people have done the same thing, uh, had the same thing happen. They forgive from afar, and then next thing you know, this brother or sister that they haven't talked to in decades calls up and said, you know what, I don't want our relationship to stay like it has, right? I want, our, I, I want to ask for forgiveness for this thing. Interesting, interesting. So I have to imagine uh, part of the the hump to get over when forgiving somebody is that um, the situation won't change, right? It's the thought that if I forgive him now, he's just going to do it again. And, you know, those are the kind of mutually exclusive forgiveness and the situation. But how much are you required to change the situation you're in? Let's say you're, you're, you're in a relationship, you're not married, and one person wrongs the other. Is it wise to break up with them, or is it wise to forgive them and give it another chance and hope that grace kind of influences the relationship in a positive way and fixes the situation? There's a lot to unpack there. Is the relationship a, a relationship of fornication, or is a relationship—I mean, so— Say it's not. So, okay, say it's not. So it depends on the gravity, and you also have to look at the person. You know, if, say, say if your relationship, if a couple is trying to sniff out whether they want to get married— you know, the best indicator for future psychological behavior is past psychological behavior. Mm. So if the guy, you know, before you get married, if you see that the guy or the gal is a rat, you know, don't go into that marriage, run yeah. away. You know, but that still doesn't mean that we don't forgive. It doesn't mean... We, 77 times, right? Right, which is a good point yeah. uh, that a lot of people fail. They don't understand what that, that means. Seven times 70, maybe? It's sure. both, both, yeah. right? So it's Jewish for a gazillion, right? Mm. So it's like... <laughs> <laughs> uh, that we ch we forgive a gazillion times. One, because maybe the person sins that many times against me. If they sin that t many times against me and I'm not in a permanent relationship with them, then, you know, maybe I shouldn't be in that relationship. Uh, but that doesn't mean I don't forgive, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe I need to get out of that relationship. The other reason why we choose to forgive that many times is because maybe the wound is so big that it hurts that many times. Maybe it's one time. Mm -hmm. You know, I've met or know of a family who saw, you know, their son was murdered mercilessly. But they chose to forgive the guy. 
right? They chose to forgive. They were actually at the court hearing asking that the guy not get the death penalty. And they asked this guy who, who had killed their own son what his last words were before he put the duct tape over his mouth and killed him. He said, you know Jesus loves you, don't you? Wow. And then he put the duct tape over their mouth, his mouth. And at the trial, he was given a moment to, he was not given the death penalty because the parents interceded for him. And he, he was given a couple words to say. He says, you know, I just got to say, I, I ask your forgiveness for killing your son. And I want to know who this Jesus is because I don't. And then they were given a chance to say something. And the judge said, they said to the judge, you know, judge, we lost a son, but now we've gained another. <laughs> with this guy. You know, that's that's real wow. forgiveness. That's huge, right? Yeah. But I, I use that, you know, a wound can be so huge because it can hurt that many times. And every time I choose to forgive a big wound, because, I, you know, you get those wincing memories of like, ah, oh, my brother, he did this thing to me, you know, like whatever. Every time I choose to forgive, in the name of Jesus, I forgive him. Every time that memory comes up and I choose to forgive, in the name of Jesus, I forgive him again for this, that, or the other. Jesus... This is gross, but Jesus sucks a little more pus out of that wound, and it gets a little smaller, mm-hmm. and there's less pressure on it. But if I choose, because I can, to hold on to the wound and to the pain and the anger, it's like having a rat in the house and saying, I hate that rat. <laughs> I'm going to get some rat poison and kill that rat. And I get that rat poison, and I start to take it myself. <laughs> Not forgiving is taking rat poison in the face of a rat. <laughs> it's it's ludicrous. It's yeah. ludicrous. So forgiveness is just cleaning the slate. It's just making that relationship with that person right and starting fresh and how liberating that is. Well, at least at least in one direction with yeah. an openness. But I think something that, that's really striking me here that I've never really thought about before is there's there's our side of forgiveness, but there's the effect which pours out toward the person we're forgiving. This is where we get into the more mystical side because we hear a lot of stuff like I was listening to a podcast on kind of mindfulness and the psychology of it, a lot of which parallels the benefits from a mental health standpoint. Like, and that I see that as kind of the theology of the body coming through. We're made this way. So of course our bodies and minds would work this way in the psychological realm, but they never get into what's beyond the physical, which we're looking at now is the mystical of the effect our internal forgiveness has with really no external effect on the other person in, in any corner sort of worldly way. But from the examples you've given and what we're describing, it has this profound effect on the other person. It's like forgiveness is not for ourselves only. It's it, it has a profound grace that flows through us into the other person for their sake. So it's another angle on listening to what St. Paul says. I unite my sufferings and what worse sufferings do we have than the sufferings of sin that's done against us when we receive the the cuts of this stuff. I unite my sufferings with those of Christ on the cross who suffered in, for one reason, <laughs> to forgive sin mm-hmm. and to reconcile people to the Father, right? So when I choose to do what he did, when I choose uh, by an act of will, and maybe a thousand, maybe seven times, 70,000 times, when I mm-hmm. choose to do that, then that what you're saying is that that suffering becomes redemptive and it definitely goes out and penetrates and lightens up the world. If nothing else, 
nothing else. I'm going to walk away freer. When I when I'm leading people through these prayers to do this, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Okay. Do you want to want to do it? Okay. I want to want to do it. All right. Let's just pray for the grace. And so, all right, Lord, give me the grace to try to do this. Okay. Then I'll lead him through the prayer. In the name of Jesus, I forgive, you know, my brother Clyde for, you know, punching me in the face when I was seven and saying I had frog eyes. <laughs> I, I forgive him right. and I bless him. Right. And I know that sounds silly, but we have graver wounds. But, and I get him to go through a list of a few people or whatever. And then I look at him and I say, how do you feel? And then invariably, every single time, wow, mm. I feel lighter. I feel okay. Jesus just sucked a little of the pus out of those wounds and made it a little bit smaller. There's less pressure on the wound internally. And you at least will feel better. To the extent that you continue to do that, you will be freer. And you're not going to be bound by the past. Right, you're freer to go forward. That also trickles out to the relationship. You don't, you're not stuck there. You're not stuck there. You're not a slave to the other person and all their stuff. And they can get begin to get the grace for their own conversion because you have chosen to unite your sufferings with those of Christ, and that's what He came to do. Well, physically too. I mean, not as not as mystical in this sense, but you know, if someone wrongs you, turn the other cheek. They, some part of them knows that whatever they did to you is wrong. And they see you act the way you did, almost forgive them on the spot. And they're like, wow, I can't believe it. Are you kidding me? I was expecting a retaliation of sorts, but they didn't get that. So it, something's working there. Mm -hmm. I like that you bring up the turn the other cheek thing, too, because we always have to look at the cultural relevance at the time when that was said, where in the, in the Jewish tradition, like if you were slapped or struck, person's going to use their right hand. So if you turn the cheek, one, you're not retaliating, like you said, which could be a shock. And two, since you've turned the cheek, now the only hand they have available to strike you again is their left hand or their unclean hand. You know, that's what they use to clean themselves and, and things like that before. I'll say it this way, before toilet paper. <laughs> and so one, like you said, you're you're forgiving them on the spot. But two, you're, you're saying, hey, you did something here. Whereas if you retaliate, that's just eye for an eye, and it, it calls for more of the same response. So forgiveness is a habit to be built. Yep. Yep, it is. So, the, again, the scriptures say, don't let the sun down, go down on your wrath. What I, what I, so that's a daily, that should be a daily habit. You know, and the more that we do it, the more we choose to practice it, it becomes easier, right? It's Our will is like a muscle. The more we exercise it in a particular way, it'll act that way. If I choose to hang on to resentment, guess what? I'm going to have a habit of that. If I choose to forgive and learn how to forgive quickly and rapidly, it doesn't mean I don't feel things, you know? And I might feel like strangling somebody, and in, in objectively speaking, they might, they might rate it, you know? But <laughs> so we need to distinguish between the emotional immediate reaction you know, I'm, I may not turn the cheek at the moment and react, but then at the same time, I you know, dial it down and go, okay, at the end of the day, before I go to bed, when I'm doing my examination of conscience, Lord, you know, you let all the people who you saw through the day march through your, your mind, mind's eye, and you say, Lord, I forgive my boss who I really wanted to strangle for laying me out in lavender in front of the other employees. I bless him. Show me what to do tomorrow. 
how to deal with this, you know? Show me, give me the grace tomorrow to how to handle this in such a way and how to diffuse this. And then we're inviting grace in. The, the, the exercise I would like for everybody to, to walk away with is, one, this idea of 33 days of forgiveness, of making a list of everything, asking the Holy Spirit to illumine you to everybody that's wounded you. And as silly as it may seem, like I was talking about frog eyes, you know, when you're fourth grade, as an adult, you would laugh at it. But as a fourth grader, that might have really hurt. So write it down, you know, because as a fourth, you know, your fourth grader, you was really insulted. And you need to forgive him for that. Right. Go through this le- this list of and every day for 33 days. And the list will grow as the days go on. A lot of people ask, well, should I mark them down and say like this one at this day 17? Do I need to add X number of days on, you know, 28 days or however many days it is to get? No. Don't be, God's not a bureaucrat. Just the bigger stuff that needs more forgiveness is usually stuff that immediately pops out. Just go through the exercise. Once you clear that out, and some people need to go longer. Mm. You know, I've had people go 60, 90 days because they've never had a habit of dealing with stuff or they've, you know, maybe somebody felt utterly betrayed they find out their mother wanted to abort them or something like that. That's like devastating, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, you know, whatever it might be, they may need more days than 33 days. All that's to clear out the decks from the past. And then the habit is every night at the end of your day, an examination of conscience to keep the decks cleared, keep the stuff from accumulating under the rug any further and, and again. And that habit uh, is life transforming. It really is. I really love the analogy you've used with the wound. I've heard other analogies from a few things like leaving, you know, the idea of a dragon. Like if you don't deal with it, it grows. But with a wound, it's even more applicable. If you don't deal with it, it festers and it gets worse. And then there's there's this weird attachment we get sometimes too where it's like you never get a scab or a, something and you can't stop poking it. Like does it still hurt? Yeah. Does it still hurt? poking at it and there's the kind of and then it's gone like if if once the wound heals like a physical wound i almost sometimes miss it like oh, i got to poke at that thing well it's and it's 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 uh frankly that's the what the devil does so uh-huh. the devil's like a fly on a wound he goes after dead flesh rotten flesh and he sets his eggs in there and he wants to nest and so if we don't address the wound He's using that wound as a mechanism that you call picking at. He's picking at it so that he can get you to react sinfully every time to your brother who said you had frog eyes. You know, you know the resentment thing. So he's going to sit there and, and use those wounds to poke at you. But when you when we choose to let the Jesus pull the pus out and inject his grace of triple antibiotic antibiotic ointment grace into the wound, then the wound gets smaller and smaller and the devil doesn't have space to make mm-hmm. a nest anymore. When the wound's done, he there's the devil can't use that anymore on you or against somebody else, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it really is an applicable, a very applicable analogy. So yeah. with, um, I have a question um, about how you should go about forgiving. Like in Xavier's case, he actually called his brother out of the blue and he said, hey, I forgive you for what you did that you probably forgot about, but it was kind of festering within me. If you can, with this list, 
the 33-day exercise. With this list, if you can reach out to those people and tell them that, do you do you recommend doing that? No, uh, I know I, it's not I, a person. It's more of a personality trait, uh, whether you're willing I, to do that or not. But confronting. I, I think you, I, what I advise people to do advise people to do is to let the Holy Spirit lead that. Uh, again, it, it, you know, Xavier called his brother up and it felt out of the blue. It felt a little awkward, right? Yeah, it was, it was strange. It's strange because he didn't, you know, like, what What are you talking about? And, you know? and like you said, it almost came across, at least for, I think from his perspective, as a little like arrogant. Like, yes. And he so, was like, I didn't think I needed forgiving for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's just what brothers do. Yeah. That's just what brothers do. So most of it's just interior stuff. And then if the Lord, you know, if there's somebody that you really want to reconcile with, um, and you should reconcile with, firstly, your own demeanor is going to shift towards them, and they're going to spiritually and otherwise kind of get that. Mm-hmm. But then there's a, another way of handling that without this kind of looking over the top of your glasses kind of effect of, you know, I forgive you, you know, um, it, which is what I call uh, aggressive humility. <laughs> Sounds like a contradiction <laughs> in the terms. But if you know that there's been irreconciliation between yourself and other, as my father said, you can always chalk, if 99% of the problem is the other guy, you can always chalk up 1% to yourself for just being in the problem. And so I can, that's fodder enough for me to go and say, you know, bro, I just, you know, I recognize that there's, we've got stuff and we've had stuff. And I just want to ask your forgiveness for the, my stuff, you know, and what I, what I know, how I, I've hurt you in the past or things I know that I've said or mm-hmm. things I don't know what I said, but I, you know, may have wounded you. And I, but I, I just appreciate you as my brother or as my, you know, whatever. And I just, just want to lay that out there because I, I just don't want any garbage between us. And that gives the other person, you know, maybe they'll, maybe they'll blow you off at the moment because they don't know how to react. Maybe they'll graciously receive it and go, you know, I've really been wanting to, talk about this too, right? You know, you let the Holy Spirit lead it uh, and see what he does. And maybe they blow it off at the moment and come back to you later, you know, mm-hmm. set your expectations very loosely <laughs> in that. But that's a that's a practical way that I recommend people and use myself. Yeah, I'm reminded of something. It was from a couple minutes ago where, well, it's kind of a general thing, but I, I was just like, I saw some Lifetime movie or something, and there's the couple, and I don't know why. I was, like, in the dentist or something, or they had on the TV. And it was just, like, this couple was in this argument, and it was, like, blah, 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 blah. And then it's, like, and you did that a year ago. Holding on to these things. I was, like, tying it back to, like, kind of the practical human side of applicability. If you want to tank a conversation and kill a moment, you just bring up something from the past somebody did that you both thought was done with. And it just explodes because it feels like a cheap shot. It's like, this is our issue now. And you're just throwing on this extra crap from, from the past. And it's really unfair because you're treating the person in the now with something from that isn't in a certain sense. It's not even them anymore. That was them. However long ago, a year ago. And you can, I think this is probably part of where people see a change in you that has an effect on them Mm -hmm. is you're not cheap shotting them in the past. And maybe you don't even mention it. Like, if you come home from work and you you get mad at your wife about the dinner or something, it might not even be about the thing. It's not about the thing. It's about the thing under the thing, which is this resentment you've let build up over years if yeah. you haven't done this practice. 
Yeah, it's like pulling ice balls out of the out of the refrigerator of your heart and throwing them at the proper time. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just like a, you've packed this thing away to be able to throw. You did this a year ago, and you smack them in the face. Yeah, that you know that doesn't help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't help. But when you when you choose to forgive all this stuff, it warms. It takes the ice out of the ice box and melts all those ice balls. And you don't you've got nothing to throw because you don't care about it anymore. It's, mm-hmm. You're done. I just was reminded of personal experience of ours, specifically you, um, before, as you know, you and I were roommates, and we had a couple roommates, but the first one, not the current one that lives with us, um, he would have the TV on too loud, you know, and... Um, yeah, yeah, he had a TV in his room at night on the on the shared wall, and he'd kind of blast it. But, uh, you know, we were trying to go, to go to bed, and he was up at late, late hours, and uh, every night we'd have to tell him to turn the TV down, you know. And he, I think he eventually started to get better with it. Like, yeah, and he was always gracious when we asked. Him. Yeah, well, that was that's my point, is the fact that if you let that build up, he, he probably had no idea what he was doing wrong, you know, but you could have built up resentment. And you went and confronted him, and his reaction was really good. And I bet you both let it go at, the, at, at that point, I suppose. Well, yeah, right, I remember talking about it because... It was like, I want to make sure that I address this so that I don't build that resentment over time. And meanwhile, he's just sitting in his room watching TV. Like, he has no idea that this thing has an effect. And so by addressing it kind of initially in a in a kind way, it one lets him know. He did eventually start turning it down. But if I had waited two months till I was like, every night I'm sitting in bed grinding my teeth like, oh, that dog, I didn't turn his TV down. Doesn't he know? Shouldn't he know? Like throwing the blame on him instead of like recognizing like you you said the one percent there like he's the one with the tv on but my one percent might have been well i never mentioned it then it's on me what are the one of the things that that's that's a very good point you don't let it build up you know so that you pack away the ice balls uh when you do it quickly one of the things that that people uh wonder is how do i know when i've forgiven from the heart like completely like the big Mm. wounds right um I would say that the benchmark is A, when it doesn't hurt anymore, and B, when you can put yourself in that other person's shoes and say, there but for the grace of God, go I. I'll give you a, a glorious story. There was a there's a parish down in Dallas, uh, in Ennis, Texas, where all the it's it's why the Dallas Charter is the Dallas Charter, because that's where the first abuse oh. was uncovered. Uh, and it was so egregious, it was it's inconceivable, and I don't even want to talk about it. So I've got a friend who's the pastor there, and he called in and for years. You know, this is 30 years later, 40 years later, still trying to clean up the damage, right? Um, he called in a religious brother, some brothers of another community to go in and do a, a talk. And the guy, nobody knew the brother's background, either the priest, but the brother started talking about forgiveness, Mm-hmm. And he started talking about how he had been abused as a child wow. by a priest. He didn't know the history of the parish. Wow. Amazing grace, right? And uh, he started talking about how he went through all these levels of forgiveness and all the all the capacity to choose in times. And how at this point, though he never would wish this on anybody else, and he knows God didn't want it to happen because mm-hmm. God doesn't want sin to happen, though he allowed it. He can say that he's grateful to God for what God's brought out of that wound. 
and that's total freedom, you know. And you can also say, you know, I could have done the same thing to somebody if I would have been malformed as in my own childhood or something. You know, what what happened to that priest that he was so weird to be become such a perpetrator of things? You know, that's mm-hmm. what happened to him. You know, how was he malformed? Yeah, you know, like, what? So he he was at this place of just of peace to the point where he could be great. He could see God's hand working through the very horrible, horrible wound that he, had occurred to him. And he could also see the other person, the perpetrator of it, as a human being. Mm-hmm. That's when you know forgiveness is complete, right? That reminds me of a homily I heard a couple of days ago. Um, this particular priest, won't mention his name, he, the homily was about giving thanks, always giving thanks to God. And Amen. His, his mother had died of cancer. A year before he got out of, uh, a year before he was ordained. And he said, you know, best believe I wasn't willing to give thanks then. You know, why couldn't you just see my first Mass? You know, Lord, why, why couldn't you ever alive long enough for that? But he said that her death uh, prepared him to be comfortable around death and suffering and prepared him for his priesthood. And, you know, he, he gives thanks now for that. But the trick is giving thanks in the moment, trusting that it'll turn out good in the end, right? Or like God's preparing you for something better, you know. And that, that is another one of the exercises I love to give people, which is what I call a rosary of praise, where mm-hmm. you, every day, you pick up your rosary. And it's a great way to do your examination of conscience at the end of the day. You just go through each bead, no Hail Mary, nothing. You're just saying thank you to God for something different on each bead. And you include all the tough stuff. Mm. You include all the things that hurt or the things that you don't know what what you're going to do in the face of it. Lord, I have no idea why I don't have a job right now, but I thank you for what you're going to do through this. Uh, I thank you for the plan that you have in this seemingly insurmountable problem. I thank you. Because you knew my mother and the perfect day to take mm-hmm. her so that she could go to heaven. I don't, you know, selfishly speaking, yes, I feel this, 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 and this. But I thank you because you know better than I did. That act of the will, grace-filled, wow, that's, that's huge. It's an act of trust in what God is doing, even though you don't see it. Because he's always doing something good out of mm-hmm. all, all the garbage. He turns manure into fertilizer and then <laughs> brings great fruit out of it, right? That's his job. It reminds me again, and and cut me off if I'm doing this too much, but I always like to pull these kind of where people find insights from the world and don't realize that this has been the wisdom of the church for 2,000 years. I think we're all doing this. Yeah. (laughs) Um, For any of those Jocko Willing fans out there, he's got something. He he calls it good. And he's like, whenever something bad happens, whenever anything happens, your response should just be good. And he'll, he'll be like, if you lose your job, good now i can prepare my resume and get more experience for the next one like if your boss gets mad at you for coming up short good now i can work on being better you know if you're having a hard time waking up in the morning good i can build the habit and the virtue of self-control just any possible bad thing if you have this disposition of like good i'm gonna pull out what this gives me then and when you make a greater thing of it like this wisdom is apparent in the nature of things and, it, and when you add into it, and as Christians, we have to add into the the element of it's not just what I'm going to do through this. It's, God, what are you doing mm. through this? 
it transforms it completely because then then I can I can it builds that trusting relationship with the father that he is in control. If he allowed, if he allowed this to happen, maybe he didn't in his perfect will want it to happen. This one religious brother be sexually abused. Okay, Lord didn't want that. Okay, Lord, good. What are you going to do out of this? Now, obviously, psychologically, it took time to get there mm-hmm. in, in the proper time and proper place, and that's an extreme case, but. As you say, when I, that's what you're describing is abandonment to divine providence, ah. which is good, Lord. What are you doing? Thank you. What are you? Whatever you're doing here, I, I thank you. I thank you in advance. I don't get it, but I trust that you got it in hand. That's a great way to have peace, which is another talk entirely. I'm curious about uh, the Mantle Mary project more so. Uh, how else? Like, what, what are the what are the plans going forward? Um, other than you know, um, involving um, these practices that you brought to light with forgiveness. What, what are some ways that everybody else can help? Or is there more to do still in terms of uh, you know, going to the four corners of the United States? And what is the plan? There is no plan, and I think that that is the best plan because mm. we didn't plan on we didn't plan on doing that. You know, it's not like we sit down and, what can we do? It's like the Lord put it on our hearts to put, do a silly, what seems like a silly thing, to go to the literally four corners of the country and put these things. And then uh, Bud and I were talking, and he's, what else should we do? I'm like, I don't know. And I don't know either. And and then he, next thing you know, well, let's pray about it. He started praying, and he comes up with this idea of the, the making a little booklet for people to pray, you know, the Mantle of Mary prayers for the country. Okay, mm-hmm. that's the fruit of it. But that, that came bubbled up after after praying about it. Um, what seems to be bubbling up also, I said, you know, I, I really, I think that people need to be able to learn how to forgive because that's, that's a, one of the biggest things. And so this little podcast today, what comes after this? I have no idea. I really, really don't. You know, maybe nothing. Maybe it's, this is just enough. Good. I don't know. Good. Yeah, I have no. <laughs> uh, we really, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know what God's got cooked up. Yeah. That's um, yeah, uh, simple. But I, I, I do encourage people to pray those prayers, uh, to pray. It's just what Our Lady of Fatima called for, to pray for the conversion of sinners, to pray for the conversion of this country in particular. You know, some people... Say, why not the whole world? Well, do the whole world. You know, (laughs) please. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And as always, uh, shameless plug time. That booklet Father just mentioned, um, at the time of this recording, we've just finished up everything with the kind of pre-production and sent it into the printer. But if you're listening to this in a few weeks after this came out, it should be available on our website to find. That's catholiccity.com, the word Catholic, I-T-Y, dot com. Daily Prayers to Save America. You can also go to dailyprayerstosaveamerica.com. Get this booklet. It's really a little book, and it's just a dollar, or you can even write in for free. We want to get this to as many people as possible, get more prayers going out for our country, for the world, and for people. So I really encourage you, if you, you feel called to it, to get involved with this. Start Get that booklet and start praying these every day. And do your, your 33 days of forgiveness and watch what happens in your own personal life. Yeah. Right? Oh, I will. Yeah. 
And then maybe later we could talk, maybe another show we could do on other entry points that the enemy has in people's hearts typically. You know, how does, this is the big one. This is the big gateway, main gateway for the enemy to get in and use to keep people in division amongst each other, the lack of forgiveness. But there's other gateways. And maybe uh, maybe one of the next projects is to sit down and talk about that. And who knows, maybe even come up with a little booklet on on how to close off various gateways in my personal life. You know, um, what are some of those? Just kind of in, in shorter form. Obviously, we're not going to go into each one for 40 minutes. But oh, So short form, you've got uh, there's occult practices. If anybody's ever done anything with Ouija boards and, you know, tarot cards even if they think it's a game the devil's a lawyer from hell and he he takes advantage of every inch you give him so yoga you know when people you know go beyond the stretching of yoga and try to you know tap into powers beyond them the chakras or whatever it's a gateway it's that's diabolical um toxic relationships if you've sinned with somebody or against somebody in a particular way in you know those relationships particularly sexual relationships even if you don't you know actually get into the sexual physical act together but lusting after somebody profoundly you link your soul to that other person the body body soul composite when you uh, transform somebody in your heart and mind into an uh, object uh, you can that relationship can be toxic and you can pick up the demons that they're dealing with. So somebody who's been in an illicit sexual relationship with a Satanist, boy, they're going to have, or not a Satanist, just somebody that's still in mortal sin, that until that's formally broken off, that's a gateway for for Mm -hmm. the diabolical influence. Um, Lack of acceptance of reality. You know, how many people don't accept just their own physiognomy? I wish I was six foot seven. I'm not six foot seven. Like, just accept what you can't change and what God gave you and Mm -hmm. and to accept your history, the things that you can't change. I accept these things, Lord, because of the things that you want to do through them, right? Uh, A lot of people are bound up because of lack of acceptance. And there's some other things like the words that have been spoken against us, uh, either by ourselves or others. You know, a dad who says their kid's an idiot. You're an idiot. If that kid hears at the wrong moment, he can believe it and act out of that in the mm-hmm. future. So some of those things need to be renounced uh, and the lies uh, renounced and truth spoken into those wounds uh, so that they're no longer mechanisms. That's a, that's a good thumbnail sketch. Of- yeah, I guess I have a couple of questions because I've heard, <coughs> um, excuse me, I've heard this come up before. Can you go into a little bit the difference between yoga as like the exercise and practice of stretching and static holds versus kind of the new age spirituality yoga part. Cause a lot of people do the yoga as exercise and a lot may or may not be doing it in that extra way. What are like a way, what is a way you can tell whether you're just doing it as exercise or maybe you're going somewhere to do yoga in a group, but the, the person leading it is getting into it. And if that's a sign, like where, where can you distinguish? So I, Firstly, I think yoga is a really big, broad term. We call a lot of things yoga that aren't yoga. Uh, but there is yoga is particularly a religion, and it's a religious act. If you were to talk to uh, people from India uh, who are 
practitioners of this, they're kind of insulted that we have it at the YMCA, that we're doing this religious act in this because they understand the roots of it and they mm-hmm. understand from whence it comes. Each of the positions in the yoga, the stretches, the static positions are mimicking uh, a Hindu deity. And so it's you're you're actually putting yourself in a posture that is meant to reflect and symbolize. It's like a yubic. Yikes. Yeah, yikes. Yeah. <laughs> it, you're making yourself kind of a living icon, as it were, mm-hmm. of that deity in the moment. So in general, I don't recommend it at all. Um, the big part of it, where it really becomes ticklish, not ticklish, but decidedly die, you know, you have you are choosing wittingly or unwittingly you're choosing the diabolical entry point is when people try to tap into what they call the chakras mm-hmm. you know and it, it, they they'll use all sorts of different uh, the energy of the universe or this energy anytime a human being is asking for energy outside of them or a power from outside of them you're opening yourself up to the diabolical unless you're asking the holy spirit to enter you the only the only mm-hmm. spirit that we ask to enter us is the holy spirit Right. And so if we're doing anything outside of the economy of grace, it's dangerous. Martial arts, some of the martial arts I used to practice Aikido, some of the Aikido practitioners that, you know, they're trying to get into the chi or the key. Right. That's opening yourself up to the diabolical. That's a power beyond Mm -hmm. you. You know, that's taking what's merely a physical action of learning how to defend yourself and, you know, throw somebody on their head with their own weight like judo or jujitsu or Aikido. You're trying to get something beyond you, and mm-hmm. it it can work, right? But the problem is, it's it's a uh, it's <laughs> it's extremely dangerous spiritually. With yoga, it particularly seems to manifest itself in a hyper um, egocentricity. It's subtle. It's all about how I feel, and everything's about how my body feels, and it's all become it all becomes a real subtle navel gazing, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, there's that's that's dangerous. We got way too much of that into the into the society already on so many different levels of this narcissism, and yoga just plays into that spiritually. So I, you know, stretch, do stretches, you know, get your back unkinked, you know, the back. Best one I've ever found is hanging from a chin, uh, a, a chin-up bar, just hanging there. <laughs> you yeah, know? That, it stretches your whole body, you know, especially your shoulders. Yeah. You know, like an orthopedic surgeon you said, "You don't. Nobody needs a shoulder surgery. Just do this." I've seen, read the book, and there's a lot of ways to stretch and work out that have nothing to do with religious action. So I guess then to to kind of summarize practically then. If you're someone who that's your exercise, yoga, and you're just just doing the stretches, just doing the holds, kind of maybe on your own or at somewhere like the YMCA where there's no element of all, you're probably okay. But you'd still, just because yeah, of the I, postures themselves, not a yeah, lot of them aren't necessarily yeah. exercise postures. Right. Watch out at the very least. But then the danger comes in where you're at the yoga studio and the yogi is talking about chakras and cheese and spirit energy. That's the stuff. Just even if you're there, just looking at it, as stretching, Don't just walk, get out, run. Yeah, I, I've got some friends or friends of friends that developed a Christian version of stretching. I'm not going to call it Christian yoga because I don't want to. I want to. I want to completely divorce it. They every posture they had for you know because the body is part of us and we need to work. You know we need to keep it and you know we need to 
work with it, right? Um, and some psychological wounds can, you know, decidedly be stuck in the body. There's a, a book I've got on my shelf to read called uh, The Body Keeps a Score. So traumatic PTSD, mm. you can have a, there's a body-mind thing there. And then, you know, so relaxing and stretching and breathing can be really beneficial. These friends or friends of friends developed a thing called Soul Core, shameless plug, but I get no kickbacks. <laughs> uh, Soul Core that you can look up online. And it's all meant to do the same thing, to be able to, you know, to breathe, to calm down, to stretch, to tone up muscle, but based around the rosary, the divine mercy chaplet. <laughs> you know, like we're gonna clear the decks here, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And it's and it's postures that are not based on any of the, the yoga ones. Yeah, this reminds me, somebody, uh, a friend told me a story. I think it was her uncle. Just like somebody gave him a yoga coupon or whatever, and he checked it out. And it was one of these really into the spirituality side of it. And the, the leader touched him on the forehead about his third eye. Yeah, dangerous. Dangerous. And after that, they, you know, I don't want to use the word possession because it wasn't exercised in that way officially, but there was like the, she described it. He was like a different person. Impression. So he was really yeah. like, and they didn't, it didn't clear up until they had him blessed by a priest with holy water. Right. And he kind of came back, but it was just and to it, throw this in. There's not just no, this is subtle consequences. Sometimes no, no, no. it's full on. No, no, this is when you start dealing with the chakras and you start dealing with the third eye, you're opening yourself up directly to the diabolical influence. And, uh, talking to exorcists, that is huge. That's there's that's the de- that's the danger point of the yoga. Yoga, yoga is kind of like um, it's kind of like Harry Potter in and of itself. It looks innocuous and just like oh, it's kind of fun, you know, whatever. But it's an entry point to all sorts of other stuff. Look where Harry Potter is positioned in the bookstore and what's around it. It's all this how to cast spells, how to do, you know, works of witchcraft. It opens you up to the the, the dark world. Yoga mm. does that and it appears innocuous. It is anything but. It is anything but. Right, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not sure where I sit with the Harry Potter, but I do wonder sometimes. I've seen a couple of the movies, like, they're using spells with, like, I think it's Latin or funky words. And I'm like, I'm wondering why I hear that. Like, what do those words really mean? Well, I mean, but again, let, let's look at that. It's seeking a power beyond yourself, hmm. right? Anytime a human being, that's what Tolkien was so brilliant about. I mean, we're on a whole different topic, but Tolkien, Tolkien was brilliant about all the different races within the, the Lord of the Rings series. Wizards were wizards. But when, when this ring of power was given and, and people sought a power beyond themselves, that's when they got into deep kimchi, <laughs> right? That's when big trouble started to happen because they were going beyond what they were built for by God, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, God, he didn't talk about God directly, but so Harry Potter is problematic. Magic is problematic because you're seeking a power beyond yourself. And that's where the devil loves to step in. You can be like gods. You don't mm-hmm. need him. Right. I'll give you power. Mm-hmm. I had another question too, after you listed out those entry points. Um, you mentioned like cursing and language, like idiot. Because we have the, the the commandment, "Thou shall not take the Lord's name in vain." And I, I usually take that. I explicitly take that to at the very least mean no doing that, no cursing with the Lord's name. But what about just kind of run of the mill vulgarity, locker room talk, you know, sailor speak, that kind of thing? Where does that lie? 
especially within context, like mixed company versus just the guys hanging out kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> it's not, you know, the, the scripture talks about, you know, edifying speech, right? Our speech should be edifying and it should build up. Um, you know, when you slam your thumb with a hammer, something's going to come out and it's usually not very pleasant. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be just a scream, you know, if grace is really deeply infused. But we need to we need to learn to control our tongues. And I, you know, I admit, you know, te- ex naval officer, you know, Texan still through and through. <laughs> you know, it, it's I, I can quick be quick, you know, on some occasions to to not have edifying speech, and it's confessible, and I need to confess it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, and that's but but saying but that's different than a curse in the sense of what you were describing of like you're an idiot. That is a particular curse, especially a father to a son or a father to a child that has an effect. Our words do have an effect. The logos, the what we speak forward, can uh, make a make something happen, right? Mm-hmm. So that child takes on this identity. Well, I, I guess I must be an idiot. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess I'm not, you'll never amount to anything. And they're either struggling for the rest of their life to try to prove, you know, almost, you know, neurotically that mm-hmm. they're going to amount to something. I'm going to prove that old man wrong. Right. Right. Um, that's not good. That's not freedom. Mm-hmm. Right. And it can't start it with a curse. You'll never amount to anything. Right. So to to renounce those lies that have been spoken into us, those curses that have been into can you kind of define curse in a, in like a general and perhaps a specific sense? Because I think usually we think of witchcraft and babble babble speak and stuff like that. But what? Because you've just used "you're an idiot" and described it as a curse. That's a curse. That's so, a curse. So what is? Could you define curse then? I guess curse. Perf- so broadly, let's see. Specifically, it would be somebody who has an authority over somebody else, especially when somebody has an authority over somebody else, and they speak a word uh, that to the person that has an effect, right? Uh, that's a kind, you know, that's an indirect kind of curse to say, you're an idiot. You know, it's not, it's a, one, it's probably a lie. Two, mm-hmm. it's, it, but it's coming from a dad to a son or a daughter that can really affect you know, wound the soul, and then the enemy uses that as a entry point to be able to say, you know, you're really an idiot. You're an you're an idiot. Your dad said you're an idiot. You know, uh, you must be an idiot. And so that's how a, a curse works, mm-hmm. right? So I had there was this priest I knew. He would say this thing. He would say, "Words have no power," and the, he meant this in a particular way. And he, he had this funny way of doing it. It'd be with it, well, usually a group. He'd be like. Somebody call me an SOB, not SOB, but, and then people like, what, what? And he like, somebody do it. And then eventually somebody's like, oh, you're a son of a, you know, and then he's like, no, I'm not. So in that sense, words have no power. But I think in that case, though, there's a choice. Ah, there's a choice. Sometimes there's a choice. Some, so there's, I have a choice and that's what the exercise of closing these things off is, is when somebody speaks a word, a lie to me, I can let it set or not. A child doesn't necessarily recognize he's got that choice when he's seven years old and his dad calls him an idiot. So mm-hmm. it can stick. So I guess you could say that words have no implicit power, but given the context, given the authority, 
using them. And they you should, should err on the can... side of caution with your words. You know, assume that they will take that I think the wrong word, way. I, I right? think I think words do have power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they have the power to the extent that we give them power on one level. But sometimes they have power even if we don't. Because there are curses. There are curses that that the enemy and people who work for him will lay on people that have effect. And you don't know mm-hmm. that it's happening. And it comes through words, but it comes through a diabolical element. So a word can have effect for building up or breaking down, right? A word, I can build somebody up through my words, and that's a that's an act of the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit working, right? Yeah. Or I can tear somebody down. You're an idiot. Right. You'll never, never amount to anything, you know? And that tears, you know, the person starts to wither inside. It, has a, it does have an effect. Mm-hmm. Even if somebody calls me an SOB, you know, if I have personal self possession and I've you know knew who I am in Christ, yeah, it's not gonna have much effect on me. I'm like, it's gonna it's gonna like why why would you do that? <laughs> yeah, this this reminds me of an example. It's kind of a light one, but I think it's a good one. My family we play you know play board games sometimes. My one brother kind of takes on personas a little bit where like you know he's an honest, trustworthy good guy, but when he's playing a game like he can just connive and like try to manipulate through his words. And I remember it was just really bugging me, and I ended up having this long conversation with him and my other brother about it. Like, there's still meaning with words, and you, I, th- I used a, kind of an analogy. Like, you throw words at people; they're like kind knives. of real things, and like words that are harsh, even if you know that behind it there's no malintent. Like, if you're calling people names or sob that kind of thing, like they can kind of bounce off. Like, if you know the other person doesn't mean it. It's like, you know, they, they call you an insulting word, but, you know, it's like lighthearted. They're still throwing that word, though. It's still got to bounce off you, whereas, like, there's still something underneath within the meaning of the word that you ha- that has to hit you and either sticks in or it bounces off. So, so it's like this reminds me of in, in the letters in Scripture. It's like choose from among you leaders who are like, uh, I forget the exact phrase, but like clean of tongue or something. And that one bothers me because, I, you know, I played rugby through high school a little bit in college and all-boys school kind of thing. And so it was everywhere. I use it a lot. I still kind of do in certain contexts. And it's, it, it, like, sticks with me. I think it – I think I, need- like, I think I should stop, but I haven't really made that decision, which is, like, kind of regular old, quote-unquote, harmless use of vulgarity. Yeah. I think wor- words in our tongue, as St. James says in his letter, is, is like a little bitty – rudder on it that can do a lot of damage, mm-hmm. can guide the ship in a lot of different ways. And I think we need to be much more uh, cognizant of our words and what they mean and to beg for the grace to have nothing but edifying speech. Because the spiritual spiritual life, the spiritual battle, it's it's over truth and lies. That's, you know, the, the enemy, that's where the game is. Can we get him or her to make choices according to lies that will take them away from God's plan, mm-hmm. which is truth, right? Can we, and the angels are, can we get them to make decisions, you know, based on the truth and, you know, following that? And words are all about truth and lies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the warp yeah. and woof of the spiritual life. Being a Texan, you said you're from Texas. Yeah, yeah. I hear uh, it's very common for whatever reasons. Texas and this idea are ma- are married. Um, 
when you're driving, you know, instead of cursing the other person who cuts you off, you say, God bless them. What's better than cursing them, huh? That's right. But <laughs> and you know what you mean. Well, I, I, it's in the tone. Well, you, I mean, if, if I'm angry, I, I, that's a human emotion. It's a reaction. It's right. not, there's not a, there's no sin on a level of emotion, emotional reaction. Anger becomes a sin when I hold on to it and act out of it. But mm. when I feel angry and I choose to say, God bless him, you know, that's, I think that's a proper way to, yes. to deal with it. Yeah. You know, uh, maybe you can mean it ironically, you know, and that's another little slight angle, but there's a heck of a lot better than, you know, laying them out in lavender and, and. Is that true? Something that goes on in Texas? It is. And it, it's re- it can be really funny, you know, <laughs> oh, bless his dear heart, you know, some lady behind the counter <laughs> and she means like, I really want to strangle this guy, <laughs> yeah. but she's not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think this is a good time to sort of wrap up. We're getting on a little past an hour here. Any, any final thoughts from you guys on this before we close out? No, I just, this has been a great opportunity. I, the spiritual warfare is real. And if we don't do it on a micro level, then we're not going to win on the macro level. We need to do all those prayers that's coming out in that, that, that wonderful book that you were talking about, Prayers to Save America. But America doesn't get saved if I don't get my heart in, in mm-hmm. line. I think that this is the right nation for this Mantle Mary project. We've led the world for years. If we can take root here, it's going to spread all over the world. hope so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, start with forgiveness, I'd say. Yeah, start with forgiveness. All right. uh, A big thank you to Father John Anthony for coming out to visit us. He made a special stop between a trip from the Bronx out to Chicago. That's a long drive, and he pulled it out of his way to come here and come in to speak for us. We just had Mass beforehand, and uh, just really gratefully came out, share these ideas with us, share them with you. And so, Father, if you could close us out in prayer and uh, see you on your way. In the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I just ask your blessing upon each person that will hear this recording, that they may be given a gift of profound peace, the gift of perseverance in their faith, especially final perseverance, a gift of joy in the fight that, uh, in which we find ourselves, in a particular way also the gift of forgiving, uh, forgiving until uh, there's complete healing. And may Almighty God bless each and every one of us and our family members in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen and amen. We hope you were inspired by this podcast, and we encourage you to share it on social media and warmly invite you to distribute our free Catholic scapulars, medals, books, and booklets to your family, friends, parish, and social groups. Visit us online at catholiccity.com for more information. The real work of the Mary Foundation is accomplished by people just like you. There are three ways to help. First, please pray for everyone who hears, reads, or wears our materials. Second, share them with everyone you know family, friends, fellow parishioners, and the people you work with. Only you can reach them. Finally, please help us financially. It seems impossible, but we don't do traditional fundraising here at the Mary Foundation. We rely on your generosity and God's providence. By the way, if you, your parish, or your Catholic group would like to distribute our materials by the dozens, hundreds, or even thousands, all we ask for is help covering our materials costs. So please visit us online for suggested donations. For our Canadian friends and those outside the United States, Only online requests are accepted, so please refer to the special shipping rates listed on our website. Thanks for listening, and we're looking forward to working with you. May God bless you always. And now, here's a short preview of our Rosary and Divine Mercy Chaplet, the most popular rosary recording in the history of the world. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. For an increase in the virtues of faith, hope, and charity. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without permission is prohibited.